Hello everyone and welcome to the Highlander cast for another fortnight. Uh, I am here with you, your usual host Vance, and with me also as usual is Sav. Hello everyone, it's good to be back. Yeah, Sav back from an overseas trip. How was your trip? Yeah, it was really good. Uh, I, th- I think that the highlights were getting stuck in a sleet storm, uh, having to put chains on tyres after digging a car out of a snowdrift, uh, hiking in the middle of the night and narrowly avoiding an avalanche, and also crossing over a ridge with precarious doom on either side of me. So okay, yeah, it was a, it was. I, I'm not going to say I'm coming. I've come back well rested, but I've definitely come back, and that's a plus. Yeah, it sounds like you've had very different weather to us because we've been variously on fire and covered in smoke, and um, there was a massive hailstorm here last week. You know, it's been. Uh, Disastrous. Yeah, I've heard about the hailstorm and the smoke. It's been absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Putting it but, putting it up, up front, I'm pretty sure that anyone who is a patron, uh, if you heard the shout out on the last episode, just make sure that you, if you do have any amount of money to give that you would normally give to our podcast, please instead appropriate it to a, a bushfire relief. Something like the Rural Fire Service or... Um, whatever the other state equivalents of those are, uh, they need the support more than we do at the moment. So, all right, let's kick in though. So uh, last weekend, well, uh, two weekends ago possibly for those listening, um, was CanCon, uh, the Canberra Games Convention, uh, which is always a great time. Um, it's a big convention. It's across a number of large halls now. They've got all sorts of wargaming, etc. But obviously the bit we care about is the magic uh, and in particular, it's where the Highlander National Championships is always held. Um, so that was on, on the 25th-ish. Um, and it was great fun. That's sweet. You, you got uh, 68 players from what I heard on Facebook? Yeah, 68 sounds about right. That's that's really, really good. Fantastic turnout and means that we have more new data to look at and also can look at it in kind of relation to how Highlander's been evolving over the, the last um, year or two since we've been tracking the metagame. Yeah, yep, so let's kick into that. Awesome. Well, as always, what we like to do is look at basically the play style or the archetype that people actually choose to rock up with on the day, and it kind of shows, you know, where people's confidence lies in terms of both what they're confident at playing and what they're confident will actually, uh, you know, do well in an event. So we have a breakdown, and this breakdown is very, very loose. Uh, I'll say specifically the loosest part of the breakdown is in the term combo. Now, uh, everyone who's familiar with the Flash Hulk deck uh, knows that obviously it's got a lot of points in it that allow you to find the namesake card Flash and then combo off. But it can also play a kind of a mid-range game, right? Where it can kind of just play its actual creatures and turn them sideways, which most combo decks can't actually do. But particularly post-board, um, some of the lists at CanCon and that have been getting played in Melbourne recently have the ability to have just, you know, like cards like Leovold and Oko to just, if you put a pile of, you know, Graveyard Hate or whatever, and they might just say, that's great, but I'm attacking for nine right now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think Leovold and Oko are probably two of the best examples of where a card is just so strong and you have the colors to support it and it doesn't actually fit with your primary game plan, 
but it's just too good to pass up. And so you play it and you just win games out of it. So looking at the um, the archetypes that people brought, we had 22% of the metagame being combo. Uh, and this is marginally up from previous events in the, in the past, or at least at uh, the previous major event being GP Brisbane. Uh, it was about 15% there. So, you know, this is a, this is a, a healthy uptick uh, on the surface when you look well, at... It's definitely people. an uptick. Yeah, it's an uptick. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you look at historically people having been really, really low on combo in the past, they were, um, you know, it was going down to the, you know, 9 10% range and people just didn't have any confidence in it. And uh, that has changed. Uh, so after that, we had aggro at 12%. Uh, and when you're looking at representations, if we think about our... I'm not going to say ideal, but a balanced metagame, we're going to have 16% in every archetype. That's basically what you expect an equal distribution of six major playstyles to be. Uh, so aggro is just a little bit lower than that. Uh, it's a little bit lower than what it was previously, at about 15%. Mid-range, as always, this is just consistent, just all the way across the country, even in Canberra, which has historically been more of a combo uh, and aggro type of uh, uh, city, mid-range was 27%. And that's actually not unheard of. You often see a quarter of the metagame just being mid-range. It's, it's uh, especially when you've got newer players in the format as well, one of the easiest decks to pick up because it can pivot into kind of different roles in the control role, the aggro role and so on uh, is mid range. And it's also got the sweetest cards in it. Whereas you kind of have to wrap your head around combo or play like not really good looking cards in aggro. Uh, and you know, it could be the case that, uh, that some people are sleeving up decks for the first time and choose to play mid range. Uh, but that's not unheard of. Control was at 19%. Uh, this is basically on par with what we've seen in the past. Control has been hovering around the 20% mark for about the last year uh, as Grixis Control kind of settled into basically where we're happy with it, where, where it kind of should be, where it's occasionally performing really, really well, but not just dominating events and having four in every top eight. Uh, tempo was up. So tempo is at 16%. This is actually, I believe, a historical high for tempo. Uh, basically, tempo has always been 9%. It's just, it, it sometimes indexes up to 9.5% and then goes down to 7%. And it's just well, almost the crazy never 10%. Broken. The 10%, yeah. whoa. Um, but this event has the had the largest amount of tempo at 16%. Uh, I will assume it's because the you know last couple of major events were won by the tempo deck in question. And people were like, well, they have more confidence in it. So if they've got a higher confidence, they're going to rock up with it. We'll talk about conversion later. Uh, and then last of all, we have ramp. This is probably the biggest outlier. Uh, if we explain away the combo spike being the fact that combo and mid-range are represented in uh, Flash Hulk, but ramp was at 4%. Basically only three people chose to rock up with ramp at the event. So it is, um, is a lot lower than the previous event. We had 13% at GP Brisbane uh, and dramatically lower than other states. Speaking solely from uh, Adelaide as an example, ramp is really popular here, uh, but it, it might suggest that this is maybe just a nature of, of the location. And because it's in Canberra, less people were interested in sleeving up ramp. 
Yeah, I mean, there are certainly a number of people in Canberra who are very down on the various artifact decks, which I think make up some of the ramp portion in Adelaide. Yes, yeah, um, that's true. And also, it's quite possible that some of the people who would have played that played a combo deck instead. Um, in, yeah, in, that's you know, true. There of, is a bit the, of the unfair sort of mm. spectrum. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, there's a lot more. You're more likely to kind of jump into something in the unfair spectrum if you're a, uh, that kind of a player, jump switching between ramp and and combo. Uh, before we go into conversion rates, I do have a shout out. When I was looking at the results, I saw uh, Mitchell Cramp was playing Sneaky Jeeky, which is a red-white combo uh, combo lock deck. Um, and he piloted it to a 35, 35th place finish. So um, as soon as I saw that, I kind of popped up onto my radar again and went, oh, I remember that. And I just want to brew with it more now. So shout-outs to Mitchell. Let's go on to conversion rates. So looking at the top eight, uh, when you see that it's actually a uh, a what a um, two one one two two zero, so that's two combo decks, one aggro deck, one mid range deck, two control decks, two tempo decks, and zero ramp decks. Uh, having a selection like that is on the surface uh, a very very spread out top eight in terms of archetypes. That's kind of something that as when you're looking at a metagame from a committee perspective, you're like, wow, that's really, really cool. It's It means that you can play pretty much any archetype, perform well with it, and that's really exciting from a game balance perspective. Um, that's only on the surface. When you dig into it deeper, though, uh, the builds themselves are not diverse builds. They're largely essentially the same deck. So, for example, if you look at the two tempo decks, they're both two rug life decks. So, Tima, yeah, Tima Tempo. Yeah, builds, and very, yeah. very similar. Um, and then you look at the combo decks and they're two of essentially the exact same Flash Hulk combo deck. Um, so, when you when you see that kind of thing, it doesn't give you as much confidence. What It, it says that archetypes are you know, in a in a fair amount of balance where you've got kind of tempo vying against combo, combo vying against aggro and so on and so forth. But when the decks themselves look like uh, clone copies of themselves, of each other, it's more of a bad sign. Uh, so it that's something we'll probably talk a bit more about when we look at the pointed cards and watch list cards. Um, but it's just a, a something I do want to point out there, you know, when you can have, you can have, I believe it's in our mission statement that, you know, you can have, diversity in archetypes of what people can play and play styles that play against each other but if they're the same you're, you're set of cards diversity within archetypes within exactly so between archetypes yeah. and within so that's something that is that is on our radar whilst we look at this kind of metagame yeah and it's also definitely true that um at least one of the mid-range decks was yidris yes and it has quite a lot of cards in common with the two rug life decks when you look at the crossover of like, okay, which ones are playing Ancestral Recall or, you know, Time Walk or, you know, those okay. those types of things, it's <laughs> it's quite yeah. it's quite important. Yeah. Um, so let's have a look at the conversion rates. So uh, as before, we looked at what people are confident with rocking up with, so that's the metagame breakdown, but now let's look at their conversion into the top 16. Now, this particular number is relatively arbitrary. You know, I could choose, say, the top 17 to be specific because that'll be exactly one quarter of the metagame, but <laughs> it's just easier to just kind of 
conceptualized top 16. So yeah. the top 16 is essentially uh, the 24% of the uh, the players. And that's that means that we expect to see, based on how many decks people... Uh, how many people chose to rock up with a particular archetype, we expect to have 24% of those players progressing through to the top 16 if it's a uh, balanced... Uh, you know, power level, essentially. Yeah, all things being equal, um, mm-hmm. you, you would expect to have ballpark a quarter. And in any individual tournament, this might vary a bit due to a huge number of factors, but over time, you'd want to see ballpark a quarter. Absolutely. Um, for this size event. I like how you said all things being equal, but not ceteris paribus because of the uh, the incident on our previous cast. Yes. <laughs> cats and parrots. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what yeah, you're talking yeah, yeah. about. Sometimes you're talking about apples and pears. Other times you're talking about cats and parrots. Uh, so looking at the um, the areas that we think are basically healthy, uh, control had about a 23% uh, conversion rate into that top that top. Uh, 16 bracket which is yep. on par that's to be expected and seems perfectly fine um interestingly uh tempo had a 27 percent conversion rate which is just marginally above the expected 24 percent and yeah. this is this is something that uh is uh a, a concept that you need to kind of treat with caution when when looking at performance in events and you kind of see you know uh, rug life winning events consistently but when you actually look at it in this particular event a lot of people chose to rock up with a tempo deck but the average number uh, went through to that conversion rate of the top 16 so something to just kind of uh, consider when we start to uh, break down where the potential threats are so looking at uh, ramp even though very, very few people rocked up with ramp, it actually converted perfectly fine. Uh, it's basically one of the three people got into the top 16, which is 33%. Um, this is just an anomaly because, you know, you look at slight low numbers and 33%, yeah, that kind of rounds to what we expect in terms of the 24%. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the, the only options were 0, 33, 66, or 100. Exactly. Uh, so it's as so. closest to... Uh, closest we can get to a quarter. And I haven't done the numbers, but that could easily be the case for the control and tempo decks as well. Like your options might be like 27% or 20% for tempo if you add or subtract a player. Yeah. So we had basically 11 players on tempo uh, and 27% of them converting through. So you, if you had one more player rock up with it or one more player, you know, get 17th instead of 16th, then we a lot of little uh, fine differences, but it seems to be perfectly fine on the surface. Um, the areas that look like they have very, very poor conversion rates are, first of all, aggro. Uh, aggro only had about a 12.5% um, you know, penetration into that uh, top 16. Um, it's It can be a case of the number of players. Eight players were on aggro, so one of those people got into that top 16. Uh, to clarify, though, that person, Dylan Kakawa, went on to... Be going to the finals, so yeah, he he was on the the red black uh, aggro deck that he is well known for playing. Uh, he plays it very well, and yeah, he uh, almost took down the whole thing. Mm, mm. So even though it kind of has a poor conversion rate on the surface, its final result of the one person that got through there was very very high. So um, 
It's and, it's something and, to think about, but yeah, not not uh, with such small numbers, with eight people rocking yeah. up with it, um, it's not as scary as we as we think. You know, um, is it time to uh, put Mox into to negative uh, three points? <laughs> um, and much as we were talking about with ramp, I don't know wh- where the next aggro player placed, but you know, there might have been someone at eighteenth or twentieth, which would have changed this to twenty five percent. We'd be saying, yeah, exactly as expected. Exactly. So, um, so the the area that we want to kind of pay more attention to is the ones with large samples. So yeah. mid range had eighteen players uh, yeah, rocking which, up with it, and which is the it, largest sample of anything. Exactly, and it had the the worst conversion rate. It had eleven mm. yep. percent, and normally mid range doesn't get a conversion rate this low. Uh, this is most likely a factor of the of the large number of combo players in the room. Um, mid-range doesn't necessarily have a very good matchup against combo. Uh, aggro can fight combo. It can just kill them quickly. You mid-range them. doesn't. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. mid-range and is you know, going to have a bit of a hard time when the metagame's full of combo. And in, in particular, which we'll talk about in a second, the particular build of the Flash Hulk deck, which, there was, which was three other combo decks in the room, um, is monstrously difficult for most mid-range decks. Um, like, if you don't have any counter spells or stifle effects, it's extremely hard to beat. Um, and that is going to have been an impact. Um, I mean, I know there was a bunch of other combo decks, um, several others of which were in there. How many of them were in the top 16, actually, Sav? Uh, so in the top eight, we had two combo decks. In the top 16... So we look at the conversion rate. I didn't write that down the exact number. We can probably back calculate it. Uh, I think it might be about nine. So that would be... Uh, so uh, essentially... Seven? Seven? Is that right? No, six. Okay, that's right. Yeah, so if I go six divided by 15. So uh, the the number of people that rocked up with the combo deck was 15. Yep. The conversion rate, their conversion rate into that top quarter was 40%. So I guess if we back calculate that, that should be about six. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So forty uh, percent. Really yeah, <laughs> they will. They will. <laughs> <laughs> Please be kind to us. We're doing things off the top of our head. Some of these things, uh, we only have a limited amount of uh, notes. Uh, so forty percent. Ridiculous. Yeah. That's um, crazy. That's a. That is easily the best conversion rate that combo has had in two years the solid two years we've been tracking metagame data yeah um i think there's a pretty good reasons for that um mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll jump into some of the talking point cards or the first ones yeah um, yeah i think so, it so ties the talk- directly into that the um best performing cards right yeah so so the talk of the tournament and the lead up to the tournament tournament was flash hulk um, and based on the numbers Sav has in front of me, um, three people played Flash and Hulk, mm-hmm. and 100% of them made the top 16. <laughs> exactly. Uh, two of them made the top eight, I think. Yeah, that's correct. I can't two remember made both the top of them eight. made the semis, or only one of them made the semis, but the deck's really, really good because of another card we're going to talk about in a second, Thassa's Oracle. And by the time, by the time you're listening to this, of course, uh, there will likely or... Unless something goes very strange, there will have been a points update. And we're going to talk about a couple of those cards in a second. Um, so we'll come back to this topic. Yes, but for sure. what else was played so, uh, a lot? I think, I think this is actually a, an interesting uh, point to make about cards that 
don't see much play but are on the points list like Mystical Tutor and Merchant Scroll. So both of them have been historically underplayed and people look at the Merchant Scroll and they go, why would someone spend a point on that? You know, it's not like you're getting Ancestral Recall with it and drawing three cards for three mana. You can do that with Painful Truths. And these types of of, uh, criticisms, you know, are usually from players who either haven't played a dedicated combo deck or haven't had a dedicated combo deck across from them do the exact thing like, okay, I'll play Merchant Scroll and I'll search for Flash. Pass the turn to you. And they're like, okay, you're probably going to flash in something. I'll just have to interact with that. Oh, wait a second. I am not playing a deck with counter spells, so I don't have the ability to counter that. And your opponent just... just wins the following turn you, you go oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep up my abrupt decay and they go okay well I just won't flash during my turn I'll do it during your turn you wasted your two mana and then you can't actually develop your board the merchant scroll just gives you a serious level of redundancy to find the one card which for all intents and purposes wins the game on the spot for you so it's kind of like a one card win in a way yeah. and a I think the win. other thing to keep in mind is some of these players have played against a variety of combo decks with doing these things, but it might not have happened for a while. And there are some cards on the points list which will not see any play for an extended period. And then the right kind of combo deck comes to the surface again, uh, and suddenly they're amazing. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly right. And that's you know. perfectly seen in this this particular situation where Mystical Tutor and Merchant Scroll didn't see any play for, for a while. And then, you know, the occasional flash deck popped up. And then a particular card that we might just jump to, since it's topical, and come back to this, uh, got printed. What was that card and and what does it do? How does it work? Yeah, I'm just going to bring up the text because it has a lot of it. Uh, Just one second. Uh, I know that it is a 1-3. It has a mana cost of 2, which is 2 blue mana. And it has a devotion ability. when it thus's oracle enters the battlefield, look at the top X cards of your library, where X is your devotion to blue. Put one on the top and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Now, so far, you're thinking, yeah, so what? Who cares? Right? That... <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, but then, uh, if X, so if your devotion to blue is greater than or equal to the number of cards in your library, you win the game. So, mm-hmm. um, there are a number of problems with this card. The first one is it's a really good flash kill. Uh, it costs it, it's costs less than uh, Lab Maniac, so it forms a better Lab Maniac kill um, than sorry a, a better flash kill than Lab Maniac does. And the other key thing about it is if you've got zero cards in your library, and there's a variety of ways to do that once you're going for the flash kill, um, even if they kill the Thassa's Oracle in response uh, and their devotion to blue is zero. Hmm. zero is greater than or equal to zero for all values of zero. Um, <laughs> so they still win the game. So, and, and one of the problems with this is, so Lab Maniac was one of the popular flash kills, but you can interact with that with creature removal. Your opponent yes. goes, empty my library, put draw a card on the stack, and you're like, cool, bolt the Lab Maniac, you lose the game. Um, with this, you bolt Thassa's Oracle, and they're just like, have fun. I don't know why you bothered. Um, the other problem with... Thassa's Oracle is... So normally for a deck like Hulk, 
if you draw like the Lab Maniac or the uh, what is it Mog Bombers yeah Mog yeah. Bombers or whatever it's a real pain because you have to find a way to like brainstorm it back into your library so you can Hulk it out and win the game mm. um, with Thassa's Oracle that's not necessary so one of the things that all of these decks had in them uh, was Demonic Consultation so Demonic Consultation is an old card that doesn't get mm. a lot of play particularly in Highlander for reasons that will become obvious it's a tutor um, that isn't pointed yeah uh, mm. it's a one mana instant speed tutor one black. Name a card. Right? So far, so good. Mm-hmm. Exile the top six cards of your library. Okay? Then exile cards in your library and t- face up until you find the named card. Put it into your hand. Go on with your life. Yeah. So, like, the best case scenario, I'm going, ooh, I really want Time Walk because it's so good. So, I'll end of turn cast this. I'll name Time Walk. Exile the top six cards. Time Walk's not in there. And then I find Time Walk and I still have some number of cards in my deck. And yeah. I go on to win the game with my great, great tutor effect. But... <laughs> yeah. But with what you can do with Thassa's Oracle is with Thassa's Oracle on the stack, uh, Thassa's Oracle's ability on the stack, sorry, not Thassa's Oracle itself, um, you demonic consultation, you name Scragthorn. <laughs> I was going to say Abandoned sorry, Hope Scragnoth. or something. <laughs> yeah, Abandoned Hope is another good one. Like, you, you name whatever card you want that isn't in your deck um, or is a, you know, Tropical Island when your Tropical Island's in play in front of you, exile your whole mm-hmm. library win the game. This one is particularly difficult to interact with without uh, having counterspells or stifle effects. And it's a really good backup because it means that if they've drawn the Thassa's Oracle, they, they can just go, sweet, I can either draw Consultation or Tainted Pact because some of them were pain, playing Tainted Pact mm. or I can play a Spellseeker and get one of those or I can Flash Hulk and get Spellseeker and get one of those and then just cast it naturally and I can have counterspells to back up. Um, because they, oh, many of those decks are playing some number of counterspells. So it's the cheapest two-card Monty combo that exists. Um, you know, your next best one is, your next cheapest one is Time Vault, which costs four mana and is four points. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, your next best one after that is, oh God, I don't know what the next cheapest one after that would be. Split but like twin or something? Oh no, it would be like Painter Grindstone or something? Oh, oh no. yeah, Painter Grindstone. Maybe. That's that like six mana, six, right? Six mana. Yeah. You can spend it across three turns, but it's also vulnerable to all kinds of removal. Like it's vulnerable to creature removal and artifact removal. Uh, Time Vault's vulnerable to artifact removal. Um, even after you've assembled the combo, they can destroy one of the pieces. You so, can sp- splinter twin over the course of two turns, which... You know, Which you is seven mana over the course of two turns. Yeah, you only yeah. need four lands, but it's still seven mana. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, they can interact with that with enchantment removal or with creature removal. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. This is very hard to interact with. Incidentally, the... uh, Tainted Pact had a pretty good conversion rate as well. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah. for all the memes going about <laughs> Tainted Pact being bad, uh, because of Thassa's Oracle... It had just vaulted these cards. It just vaulted them into <laughs> into yeah, amazing playability. I imagine Tainted Pact's conversion rate was roughly 100% of the people who played it. <laughs> uh, I think it was something like 50%. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, or, or, or 75%. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I have to go and double check that. Yeah. Because so, one person played it that didn't top 16. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, let's just run through the other cards and then we're going to have a chat with people about some of the cards that are going to have been pointed by the time this goes to air. Um, Because um, for anyone who's not aware, the committee has decided that we can't wait until April for another pointing round. Um, 
We're doing one on Monday the 3rd, which is hopefully yesterday when you're listening to this. Um, And we're still nutting out the exact details, but I think there's three or four cards that everyone agrees on. Um, So we'll have a bit of a chat about those in a second. Um, Yeah, it's really interesting that uh, this, you know, to clarify with everyone, this is not an emergency pointing. Uh, This was essentially the points update for, what would it have been? Uh, Yeah, the end of of January Theros. So uh, basically it's only been uh, maybe two weeks away from when it actually would have been updated. But we we really did not want to mess with the timing of CanCon because if we updated before CanCon, they'd have about, you know, six days, seven days to scramble to change decks dramatically. And all of that testing you would have put in through the uh, Christmas break uh, could have been wasted. So it was better to leave it as it is and then do the proper update. And, and this is probably what you should expect as the standard going forward is that we're usually going to either do an update in December or do an update a week or two after CanCon. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll announce in advance which one we're doing. So nice. anyway, uh, so, so uh, the other the other card that was, uh, I think I think probably will we'll address the the main thing that has been on people's minds, which is time walk. So uh, time walks conversion rate is forty five percent, which is still a great conversion rate. It's above the twenty four percent, which you expect. Uh, a any card to have when it's trying to you know penetrate into the top sixteen, um, and, and, and there were is, four in the top eight, I think. Yeah, Time Walk has been so heavily played recently, and uh, it was if if I hearken it back to um, the middle oh, back in the back in the day, uh, middle of two thousand eighteen, <laughs> uh, when I was sitting there going like. I'm just so frustrated that there's no tempo deck in Highlander and historically tempo just got trounced by mid-range and you know mid-range is mid-range is uh, I mean Highlander is a mid-range format which is living in it right and we you know I'm a tempo player at heart and I just never got the satisfaction from playing any other archetype and then I saw I saw a Tolly's list from would it have been Nats that particular year? I think it might have been so, when he won with Jeskai with a time walk in it. Yeah, yeah. So um, I would say there were definitely tempo decks then because Tolly had just won Nats with one um, and had done well at the Highlander at Nationals rather than Highlander Nationals. Um, yeah. So in, the that would have been Ballpark July. It's yeah. It's probably a semantic difference where the you know the uh, Tolly's list was and and probably the reason for. Uh, uh, construction of rug life was Tolly's list was really good at grinding the late game because he had you know the ability to draw up on cards later on and his threats were really really good like Geist of Saint Traft and Goblin Rabble Master just these really powerful three drops and yeah. uh, by the purest definition of um, of a tempo deck uh, trying to align it with the protect the queen strategy we want Delver of Secrets and Goblin Guide and we want to turn them sideways we want to daze someone's someone's removal spell and then spell pierce it and i i was just i had a hankering to play that style for so long and it was just constantly getting trounced and i'm like time walk's gotta be you know good right we 
why do people not play as many time walks? And there was the occasional time walk that popped up in like a Yidris deck uh, and the ability to kind of recur that. And so uh, I, I kind of likened this to, uh, in, in a way, kind of like the mind twist scenario where mind twist, something happened and then... In, this, in that particular instant, instance, Mind Twist was a two-point card became a one-point card. Then suddenly everyone realizes how good it is and they start playing it. And I was like, okay, well, I want to I play Time Walk. So I make a really low-to-the-ground deck that was based very, very closely on the Dr. Seuss-style deck. Um, yep. And then it gradually evolved from there with big green threats and so on. And it was just kind of like deterministically going into 58 cards that I have just a proactive game plan and time walk and hey why not spend your points in ancestor recall and you know thug life all your seven points are in these two cards and then uh, i got a lot of flack for it for a while people were like this this deck isn't good this uh this uh you know a call and time walk you should you should not be playing a call you should be playing true name nemesis and you know go through all these other cards and i'm like no nah, i think this is good and then I'm like, oh, is it just me? Is it? Am I? Am I just kind of off kilter here? Am I not really seeing that it should this should just be the way to go? And then eventually, um, people started cottoning onto it. And like that mind twist scenario, everyone goes, wait a second, a- putting a call and time walk in the same deck is really really good. Like has a really good conversion rate and just absolute blowouts and come from behind scenarios where you can't win with any other card. Then you top deck a call and you go like. A call, flip your JVP, A call again, you're back up to six cards, and then you just run away with the game. Um, And up until now, it's probably been a situation where tempo decks have been largely solved at A call time walk, these two cards put together. Now, that's not exactly somewhere where we want to live. You know, we want to be in a world where where you've kind of got this deterministic list where everyone has to run it in a particular way. Um... But I kind of liken Time Walk to that mind twist scenario. Something kind of happens yeah, and then yeah. suddenly everyone's like, hang on, where? why have we been sleeping on this for so long? This is like the best way to spend three points. And then it just sees play everywhere. Um, so I'm not sure where I was going with that story. But basically no, it was, yeah, <laughs> it was about the conversion rate. So I was expecting Time Walk to have a really, really high conversion rate. Um, it was obviously massively dwarfed by a hundred percent in Flash and Hulk. So, um, but I was expecting Time Walk to be the next best card. It it should be the next best performing card. And so I looked at forty five percent, and I'm like, this is this is great. You know, Time Walk Time Walk's got a really good conversion rate. It's above yep. what it's expected. Um, but there's something that actually dwarfed it, and it surprised me. Uh, and find out more. Click here to, you know, you know four out of five committee members don't realise that this is the, you know, like, all the clickbait. Do you want to know what that card was? Yeah. It was Ancestral Recall. 62% yeah, conversion rate. Yeah, there were Yeah. That's, like, dramatically higher than I... Ex- I did not expect that. Uh, yeah, because I think there was eight Ancestrals in the room. Mm, mm. So this must be like five of them or something. Yeah, it was. It Which was is five. a lot. That's that's yeah. so many ancestral recall uh, recalls in the top sixteen, and mm. uh, I think I think maybe from from this kind of an event, this might be 
Acol's little trigger point where it kind of flips and then everyone goes, hang on, Acol is a really, really good use of four points because people were, people were not sleeving up Acol, especially, especially when Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise were both one point each. I, I honestly kind of you know laughed at the concept of having an Acol in the deck because I can just play Dig, Cruise and True Name and, you know, Snapcaster Mage or something. And uh, with Dig and Cruise both at two points each and Acol being the same number uh, as that, I think now is the time when those are very comparable, where you kind of yeah, go, well, I do I choose to sleeve up two Delve spells? I'm going to have a higher chance of just grinding the late game. Um, and then you go, oh, well, do I choose to sleeve up Acol because I want to spike the early game and the other half the time I won't actually draw it as opposed to the person who draws two of their, you know, one of one of their two possible cards. So, yeah, yeah I think I think uh, res- respect for Acol has been growing, uh, will probably grow from this event uh, and probably grow in a similar pattern to what Time Walk was doing over the last two years. Yep. So some other cards that were on the watch list, um, as an aside, I'm not going to talk about Price of Progress if it's not actually on the watch list. Um, Wish Clock Talisman had 66% get into the top 16, um, which is pretty good is again. Really- this is really surprising, right? Because well, a uh, number of them were in the Flash Hulk decks. Mm, mm. Um, so the Flash Hulk decks have warped some of these numbers a bit because of their extraordinary performance. Um, Thassa's Oracle was sixty percent, which is going to be the same uh, carrier meme one imagines. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I think the the question for the audience at home about Wishcore Talisman is. Um, why why Wishclaw Talisman? Why why such a very, very good penetration rate for Wishclaw? But why are people actually sleeving up Wishclaw Talisman when they could, say, sleeve up Grim Tutor or uh, Ristic Tutor? They're, they're two, like, kind of comparable cards. And there's obviously so, very, very inherent differences between so these. I think, these I think the reason is, particularly in Flash... Um, it's not so much in Storm, maybe, but particularly in Flash... Grim Tutor gives you a fourth turn win. Um, because you mm. tutor on turn three, your opponent has a turn to react, and then you kill them. Wishclaw, you play it on turn two, and you don't have to have you don't have to have done any of the tutoring or anything, so they can't duress the piece you want to get out of your hand. And then you pay one mana on turn three, and then you can still cast Flash. So yes. I think in Flash Hulk in particular, it's a lot better. Um, in Storm, it is slightly better because you don't have to cast it on the turn you're going off where you kind of have to cast uh, Grim on the turn you're going off. Although I guess as a counterpoint, you can't recast it from your graveyard. Yeah, it's um, both better and worse. Like you kind of have the, um, uh, you know, the discount that you get from uh, Helm of Awakening, which applies to both of them. The discount yeah. is the same from Baral because Baral can discount the Grim or the Ristic, yep. but not the Wishclaw. So yeah, it's kind of, a, it's much of a muchness in Storm. They're kind of very, very comparable but I can see what you mean. Where flat for Flash, that turn three just before your opponent is ready for it is is a really huge difference between turn three and turn four. And the other one that's been well, the other two that have been on the tip of everyone's uh, questions are Oko and Ren and Six. Uh, yeah. So Oko so, was at forty two percent, and as someone who played against it a couple of times on the weekend, card is obnoxious. I mean, we all knew that. We've played other formats, but it's yeah. Oko is Oko is just uh, when when your opponent plays it, you're kind of thinking, well, 
I need to win within the next turn cycle. And if I don't, this game is just over. I, it's just, you know, win or, or, or destroy the Ogre, obviously. And yeah, I think that, I mean... So much can be said about Oko. Every single format has basically ended up with it banned. It's lingering in legacy at the moment. Uh, how long Oko lingers in a format where the best, you know, Mir- Miracles uh, was better when it splashed green to play Oko. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably a sign of ill health. Um, relegating it to solely vintage. Uh, and if you look at the power level of Highlander, Highlander has a power level... Somewhere bet- somewhere around modern, but eking into legacy, that, that kind of power level, if you look at it on the spectrum. Yep. And Oko has been banned in one of those and not banned in the other one, but is very, very Probably unhealthy. will be. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, a, a point on Oko would uh, not go astray, um, yep. looking at that conversion rate on a number of different uh, spectrums. Uh, the other thing about Oko is it's getting play in the control decks, getting play in the mid-range decks, getting play in some of the tempo decks. I assume Rug is playing it because it's yeah, the, kind of ridiculous. The, the literal worst indication of an unhealthy card is when Rug Life, which is designed to play a Goblin Guide on turn one as one of your best threats and kill your opponent, plays something... And the rest of its cards are always on strategy. You're, you play a queen yeah. or you protect the queen. These are your only, uh, you know... This is your only plan. You don't play like you don't even play charter course. You don't even play like fluff to draw cards. It's like Aqual, but that's it. Nothing else. Don't even want to recur the Aqual. Don't even want a spell seeker. Don't even want to find yeah. my power. And it plays Oko. That is yeah. a sign of an unhealthy card. Like you just and, have to play it. And the other strategy that was playing, I don't think any of the aggro decks were, although it's not impossible. Um, mm. The ramp decks were quite possibly playing, but almost all of the combo decks were playing it either main or in the sideboard. Um, mm. Because it's not just good at killing your opponent; it's really good at messing with disruption, or permanent-based mm. disruption. So you know, it turns off torpor orbs, which might otherwise be messing with Thassa's Thass- Oracle. Uh, I know there was at least one match um, where one of the Melbourne people on Flash Hulk beat a Void winner, um, mm. which means it's impossible. Like, uh, so it was. Um, I think it was Leslie versus Shane. I could be wrong. Sorry if I am. Um, and yeah, Shane reanimated a Void Winner. Uh, Leslie just untapped, played Oko, turned it into a 3-3, went off the next turn. Um, <laughs> so he can even. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Oko can even. Um, <laughs> so the other the other card that um, has been uh, on my radar for a very long time in terms of a, a card that is well worth a point and I yep. would happily play a point for it uh, is Renin 6 and yep. Renin 6 has had the opposite scenario where it's been banned in Legacy because it's because Legacy is a four wasteland format you know being its defining feature and is uh, not banned in Modern so it's not strong enough to be on the ban radar in Modern probably because it's not a four wasteland format. There are many other reasons, like punishing one uh, one toughness creatures and the like. But uh, in the modern modern kind of meta game, Renesix really is nowhere near the power level it is in Legacy. Um, the penetration rate is basically as expected. It's just twenty four percent is what you expect it to be into the top sixteen, and Renesix has twenty eight percent. It's basically where you would 
assume it would be as just yeah. a normal card. Any, yeah. you know, the same penetration rate that uh, Astrolabe has or, you know, whatever. <laughs> whenever I'm random, I'm trying to kind of... Oh, no, Brainstorm. No, Brainstorm's probably too good. Anyway, yeah, just think of a random card, you know. <laughs> Lanoir Elves. <laughs> you yeah. know, you just... Any random card has the same penetration rate that Renin 6 has. And I'm surprised by that. I, I expected it to be a lot better. Um, well, again, I'm going to suggest part of the reason for this is that... Um, Unlike Oko, Renin 6 isn't really exciting for the most of the combo decks. Like, mm. it does a little bit for them, but it doesn't really do what they want. Um, so. Yeah, and historically, uh, and hist- I say historically, but that's really just the last year. Uh, in the last year. <laughs> since <laughs> the, since last June. Yeah. <laughs> since, since, since the nightmare of the beginning of these amazing Planeswalkers being printed in 2019. Uh the you, you often just see Renna Six together, uh, Renna Six and and obviously Renna Six Six. You see them together, uh, but you see Renna yeah. Six and Oko together yeah. in the same deck because there's uh, as as I've been noted to say uh, in basically the last six months. If you're not playing the rug colors, and that could be rug with black or you know whatever, whatever it could be, but if you're not playing the rug colors. You just have to have a really, really good reason to not be in the best colour uh, combination in Highlander right now. At this current point when you can play, you know, Oko and Renna 6 and, and so on, uh, what's your reason? And there's many reasons, you know, you can be playing a combo deck and you just completely sidestep needing to play a fair game. Uh, you could be you could be playing um, Grixis Control where you gain your card advantage from, you know, 17-odd two-for-one cards in the deck and you don't need to rely on an Oko or a Renum 6. But um, the two together, you, you generally see them thick as thieves. People are just playing the two in the same deck. But they there is a stark and marked difference between the two in performance. Oko has an insane performance and Renum 6 has... An average performance that you would expect of a fair some good card, card. yeah, some yeah. good card exactly. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to the end of our kind of watch list cards and the kind of take home messages that we wanted to bring with this. Uh, we do kind of have a bit of a um, uh, a tag in and tag out here where we might kind of jump back to some of this discussion, but maybe in the context of spoilers. So spoilers well, not really I, the I was right actually term. Suggest, let's do the spoilers at the end. Okay. Because um, now we're going to do a variant of one of our regular features. So mm-hmm. um, we didn't do a what's the point at the start of the episode because um, we're going to do a segment that I'd like to call what was just pointed. Um, <laughs> what's <laughs> nice? <laughs> what's just the point? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we don't have the full list yet. We're still um, in discussions on a few things because as... You can imagine there are some scenarios where you go, well, if this is pointed, we don't want to point this at the same time because mm-hmm. they're all played in the same decks and it will, you know, um, hurt them more than we want to hurt them right now. Um, but there's a couple of things that I believe we've all agreed on and Sav will tell me if I'm wrong and uh, we'll edit it out. Um, <laughs> so the audience here is actually time walking, right? Time walks yeah, the topic right. right now. You've just time walked. You, you know what the answer is. We don't. We're from the past. The first one, um, which... I think will come as no surprise to anyone is um, Oko is one point. Yes. Yep. Um, that, I mean, we just talked about we talked about penetration rates into top sixteen. You don't you don't need to 
look at the statistics alone. You know, the statistics just give you a really good exa- good idea of where points should align. But you can also simply go with uh, uh, feel. When you, when you sit across from an Oko, someone's resolved an Oko, and the entire game is now about that Oko, how much does that remind you of like a watered-down True Name Nemesis. True Name Nemesis just warps that game, just says, this is what the game's now about. Um, and Oko deserves to have a decision. You make a decision to play it, you're going to pay a point for it. Yeah. The other um, card of immediate comparison uh, is the what was the only pointed planeswalker, Jace the Mind Sculptor. Mm. So one of the problems with Jace is if you play it on a relatively even board where your opponent's got one creature... It's really miserable for them because you can just bounce it. You might be able to counter it on the way back down. But at the very least, it's going to buy you a couple of turns. Um, Jace is a bit different in that it is it is a better raw card advantage engine. Because uh, you can just you know brainstorm and crack some fetch lands or whatever and get a pile of card advantage. Um, but Oko generates a huge amount of virtual card advantage. And the in some ways most annoying thing is... Okay, so you know if you play Jace and you bounce my creature, I might be able to just like bolt it or play a goblin guide or something and kill it because it's only got two loyalty at that point if you play oko and turn my whatever giant monstros my uh, void winner into an elk Mm -hmm. oko's got six loyalty (laughs) even if i attack with the elf i've got to attack and use a bolt um like it's it's really difficult to kill and if you don't kill it immediately it's just on like you know eight loyalty or ten loyalty or something and is essentially unkillable outside of hero's downfall type effects um, and that's that's not even you know comparing to say aggro when you're when you're oh, an aggro deck yeah. and your opponent plays oko <laughs> and you're like yeah yeah i can just attack wait i can't just attack you because you gain three life a turn and yeah. you've like made my particularly good threat into an okay threat yeah. and i have to send everything at oko so they you send everything at oko and your opponent has effectively gained you know six seven life in the process and then they sweep the board or you've overcommitted or i, I whatever it is well, it's just or you can't kill oko immediately and you've got to spend two or three turns attacking it while they're drawing cards or doing other things and they've gained like 12 life mm-hmm. it's i mean look We've all played against it in Standard or Modern or mm-hmm. Pioneer when, for the brief periods, it was legal in those formats. <laughs> um, I think if you could find a card that everyone in the Magic community could vote on one card to just be unprinted, Oko would be very near the top <laughs> if it wasn't the top. Um, like, oh, that's funny. I, I'm pretty sure everyone would just say, yep, yeah, Wizards, we're all happy to just burn our copies of that if you promise to never have it be legal in any format. Um. <laughs> oh, what a what a depressing thought. Yeah, the that that comparison to Jace is just so apt. When you look at Jace in modern, and people are like, "Oh, Jace isn't very good." And then you looked at you looked at Jace in different formats like Legacy, and people are like, "Now nah, just play Oko. Oko's just better." Yeah, and that's I mean that's a sign. <laughs> you yeah. got a zero point card that's better than a one point card. <laughs> yeah. LSV put out a list of the best planeswalkers ever. Um, just before Christmas, with Oko at number one. And I'm like, okay, you know, nice meme, whatever. But, you know, the more time that's passed, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's probably true. I can see that. (laughs) So uh, another one we've agreed on, I think, um, uh, is Stas' Oracle is going directly to two points. Um, You know, 
go to two points, do not pass go, do not collect the game, etc., whatever. This one's a little bit more complicated because it's not just... It's rare that we change the number of points on a card by more than one at a time. Um, Are we sure that this is going to happen? Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Mulch and Isaac and I talked about it on Sunday of CanCon. Um, Mulch and Isaac were both 100%, yep, this has to go to two points. I'm like, look, I haven't played enough to know, but I'm going to defer to you. I think you said two points was fine so yep um, i'm basically like look i i know this is basically my go-to place i was already brewing decks going like i'm just gonna make my grixis control deck and i'm gonna have demonic consultation and uh uh Thassa's oracle and actually yeah. i think i went like uh cunning wish and the consult in the board so i don't have to actually ha- run the consult then i just yeah. wish for the consult and at the end of turn and then just combo off and you know people are like, oh you're a control deck and when when that's happening that's yeah. that's a direct comparison to vintage, where in vintage you play a control deck, and every control deck in at a particular time had voltaic key and time vault in it, just because it's a four mana win the game instantly yeah. with two cards, and, and this does that. And I'm like, yep, that's 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 definitely point worthy. So, yeah. so the comparison um, that we were making when we were talking about it is, and, and talking about it being two points, is to channel. Um, Channel is a perfectly archetypal two-point card that just, you know, if you've put it in your deck, the vast majority of the time you cast it, you're going to win or at least spend a lot of time comboing and probably win. Um, And Thassa's Oracle, that's a little bit less true because you need a second card to go with it. Um, Although I guess with Channel, you need a number of cards. Channel has much higher deck-building constraints, like, you can't just throw Channel and one card in your deck and expect to win. You know, if you just put Channel and Emrakul in your deck, I mean, that'll probably win some games, but if you've lost some life, you won't, and you've got to do a bit more to get there. So, that is Oracle. It's ridiculous in the flash decks. Um, it's a combo engine slash two-card Monty option sort of basically on its own or on its own with one or two other cards. Um, and it's, as we said before... It's very hard to interact with. So for non-blue decks, there are some sideboard options, things like um, Torpor Orb and uh, Hushwing Griff and a couple of other white hate bears or hate whatever's, hate drakes, um, which stop it, although they can all be interacted with um, by, well, Oko um, and various other cards. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you don't have one of those already in play... Uh, removal doesn't help. Graveyard hate is completely irrelevant. Um, yeah, it's it's counterspell stifles or one of these things that stop activated abilities already in play. Um, and those are the only things you can do. So, um, Oracle most likely happened with Thassa's Oracle at two points is uh, the Flash Hulk decks will go back to their original construction which has always been good the the original construction of the flash hulk decks you know has has uh surprised me with how consistent its results uh the results it puts up in a variety of different events over the course of the last couple of years uh getting into finals getting into top eights getting into top 16s and so on and that's a really good power level for a deck you know when you just occasionally just 
cheese out a particular victory, but your opponent has a chance to to interact with it because of graveyard hate or abrupt decay or whatever it might be. And the Thassa's Oracle being two points would now go into consult decks. So decks that want to use it. So go on. uh, Decks that want to uh, build around the Thassa's Oracle and use that in particular kinds of ways with Tainted Pact and Demonic Consultation and so on, they can do that with it at two points. But it's not going to be the case that Thassa's Oracle is going to go into the Flash Hulk decks unless they cut something very, very good, like Mystical yeah, that, Tutor. Yeah, that, that's, that's what huge. I was going to say. Some of the Flash Hulk decks will choose to play Thassa's Oracle, but they've got to cut either Mystical Tutor or whichever two one-point cards they're choosing to play. And that's fine. Like, that's that's the nature of the format, is that you get to make those kinds of choices. Um, so, you know, if someone decides that that is better than the other way, then maybe that's fine, because it's certainly a weaker deck. And it ties back into that discussion we're having at the beginning about diversity of archetypes, excellent at the current state, but diversity within archetypes is very poor at the moment. Yeah, not so And good. yeah, once once you put some points onto some of these cho- these things, it creates choice. And people go, well, I am going to build in this particular avenue or I'm going to be building in a different way. Yeah. Um, a few few other things there's a couple here that haven't been firmly decided that we're just going to briefly discuss um they're going to at the very least be on the watch list um and if it ends up that they're just on the watch list then well you know what's happened so through the breach uh i think is highly likely to gain a point uh, that's um, Underworld Breach. <laughs> through, oh, sorry. through the Breaches, yeah. Through, through, through the Breaches, breaches is, is an awesome card. I love Through I love the Breach is not on the watch list and it's not getting a point. <laughs> Underworld Breach. Um, it's funny because all weekend everyone was calling it like Escape from the Underworld or Underworld Escape. or um, And I've just gone for a different wrong name. Anyway. Um, basically, Yogmoth's Will is the moral of the story. Like we talked about, uh, Millie and I talked about this in the last episode. Um there's a number of things you can do with it that just win the game on the spot, uh, involving things like um, Brain Freeze and a Lotus or uh, Lion's mm-hmm. Eye Diamond. Um, that's obviously a pretty powerful thing to do. Um, there's also a bunch of applications for it which are less powerful but still medium or greater degenerate. Um, like there was someone uh, who was playing, uh, Ath was playing Dr. Seuss on the weekend didn't get to do this but was playing underworld breach uh, on the theory that they might get in a situation where the game's gone on a bit longer and they just recast time walk twice so there's a lot of very powerful things you can do with underworld breach and in particular in combo decks like storm it's pretty busted it is likely yeah. this will be accompanied by taking a point off storm somewhere else but we so haven't agreed as... on what that is yet <laughs> yeah i've I... As someone who's been playing a lot of Storm, Underworld Breach is insane. Like, it is it is so good. I don't think... I, I mean, people kind of look at it on paper and they're like, yeah, this is good. This is obviously a good card. But when you play a Storm deck with Underworld Breach in the deck and you have access to that card, the number of situations where Yorkmoss Will does not win the game, but Underworld Breach does, is so many that it is well worth a point and, and, and i mean it's true the other way around as well like there are lots of situations that um yogma will yogma's will will win where underworld breach won't but um yeah breach is great yeah 
It's it's so so good to have a second your must will. And with the points configuration on um, on Storm allowing for more flexibility, uh, Underworld Breach at one is actually a really really uh, interesting decision for people to make now because you can choose which of your other points to play. You can choose to go will breach and so on, um, or you can choose to cut breach, play only will, or vice versa, uh, which I don't think is going to be the case. Um, but it also gives another tool to um, the no Lotus Storm decks. Yeah. So if you play Storm and you're on a budget and you don't have uh, uh, Lotus, I've found that playing Underworld Breach is often uh, better than Yorgmos Will because you can use your... Um, so you use uh, Lion's Eye Diamond and Lion's Eye Diamond is zero points, does a really, really good approximation of Black Lotus uh, in the uh, Lotus-free decks... Uh, storm decks and you just couple that with brain freeze led and hey if you discarded the two cards in your hand you couldn't cast it's not a problem because it's going to let you cast your brain That's freeze right. again they're, they're and just escape fuel yes exactly it, it, it's so good um that i actually think with breach um the the no lotus storm decks have actually got significantly better better yeah. than than they were before before it was kind of a case where you play lotus or you play a not quite as good version of storm but i think that underworld breach has has really changed that up and it makes it i'm not saying it's going to be better but i'm saying it makes it a real contender to yeah. be on a budget and play combo and that's where we want to be yeah look and certainly from conversations with jp uh who um those of you who are newer listeners might not have heard his name, but he's one of the big uh, Highland Storm players in Australia. Um, he was saying that, like, if we put Will to two and Underworld Breach to one, he'd just cut Will. Like, that's the mm. kind of power level we're talking about here. Yeah, exactly right. And this is actually uh, a really interesting uh, situation. And I didn't expect this to happen so quickly, but an interesting situation that we knew would be an effect of doing the Storm Points shuffle. So... Uh, by shuffling around these points and allowing for more flexibility within the Storm archetype and releasing cards like Yorgmos Will to decks that aren't Storm, like um, the the sweet Bauble and Smoke deck where it's just all kind of four-colour aggro and you use the Yorg Will to replay all your like pump spells and it's just crazy, crazy deck. Um, but not only is it doing that, but it's allowing for flexibility when new cards like this come out. We didn't expect... A card that was basically red Yorgmos Will to come out. That was not on our radar. I mean, of all the things that we expected to come out in this set, that would have been like in my bottom thousandth of a percent. Um, <laughs> like, Especially I, with the historical power level of Theros sets, right? <laughs> even that aside, like, look, I like Wizards experimenting with effects. Uh, I think this year they've made some fairly dramatic errors with the power level of cards high over 2019 right 2019 uh, 2019 yeah yeah um, <laughs> they haven't made as many yet but like <laughs> on i would have thought that on a wall at wizard somewhere there was a list of cards that you shouldn't try and reproduce and yogmoth will would be in like the top five <laughs> you know it'd be like no ancestral recalls be really careful with moxes no lotuses for the love of god stay away from yogmoth will effects um <laughs> at at you know two or three mana 
Um, but no, they're just like, oh yeah, what could go wrong? Lots of things, <laughs> wizards. Lots of things could go wrong. Um, yeah. <sighs> We, we direct everyone to the points announcement, so uh, please go check it out. You can get in the full detail uh, there, text form, but, you know, we're just excited to talk about yeah. uh, changes in the format because it just means it means we get to brew more, it means we get to, you know, explore different avenues uh, with, with different play styles and different, different uh, 75s, uh, which wasn't really the case when we had the format before with high archetype diversity but low diversity within archetypes yeah and if you do uh disagree with us have a chat with us on facebook or on the discord group like don't be a jerk about it because a we don't want to have to ban you if you're a particular jerk um you know if you go too far we will etc the best some of the best information we have is from other people like we, do, we put a lot of effort into trying to make the right decisions. We put a lot of effort into thinking about the format and talking to people. But some people have strongly different opinions to us, and we don't necessarily know what they are if you don't tell us. So, um, you know, if, you're, if you think having a point on Oko is crazy, then come and let us know. I think you're wrong, but your arguments might be excellent. Who knows? That was it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought I thought you were going to leap into into the spoiler part. <laughs> oh, right, yes. So there was one card uh, we did most of the spoilers last time, um, but there was one card that we missed. Um, I mean, there might have been others, but there was one card we definitely missed, uh, and that is I have no idea what the name of this card is. So this is is the one black card, uh, yeah, instant. Yeah, what's it called? It. Uh, I have no idea. It's black. Uh, it's an instant and you target a card in a graveyard and if it is a creature you exile it and gain three life it, if it's not a creature you exile it and you draw a card it's also got escape uh, from memory the escape cost is three and a black and you can exile five car- other cards from your graveyard to cast it's it five good lord yeah it's a lot it's a lot of cards but um it just provides you with that little backup plan of casting it again and addressing your opponent's graveyard multiple times if you have that kind of fuel in your own graveyard. So the uh, whilst Vance is desperately looking up the name of the card, uh, I'll start to wax Thanks, lyrical Scryfall. about how, <laughs> cling to how dust. good this card is. Ah, cool. Cling to dust. That's right. Yeah. So we're going to start to get used to being like, you know, cling your cling your uh, grizzle <laughs> brand or something, you know, like that's that's going to become the nomenclature of this card. Uh, now, I was thinking of this as a sideboard card where you kind of line it up alongside something like uh, Nihil Spellbomb. That's a good example of spending a card and a very small amount of mana to address some, something or some amount of a graveyard and draw a card off it. The reason why this card is, uh, I'm not going to say strictly better, but is so good is because it's an instant, so they don't know it's going to happen. It's not just sitting out there like the Nihil Spellbomb. Um, It's a has a replayability where even if you only escape it once but you, the first time you address their grizzle brand and the second time you address something else when they were targeting it and at that point you're just like okay i think i've stopped your reanimation plan or yeah. if it's the case that you're in a control mirror and you've exiled their um their 
Snapcaster Mage target when they go to Snapcaster, you get maximum value because you're drawing a card off it. Yeah. And then it sits in the graveyard and says, hey, you can't, whilst I'm untapped, you can't do your thing again at some point. And control decks, you know, they usually only have two ways to kind of interact with the graveyard, but they're two amazing ways. They're like, you know, Snapcaster and Colligan's Command or Kess Kess and, you know, Colligan's Command. Whatever it is, it's going to be pre-backbreaking for you. Yeah, if I uh, counter the good half of your Snapcaster and then you're like, well, I can flip this James Friends Prodigy, but the first time I tick it down, it does nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. That's pretty powerful. I know there was uh, at Nats, uh, Rob Lark, I'm pretty sure, playing against Angus. Um, yeah, Angus on Reanimator, of course. This. <laughs> and, and Angus had, on turn two or three, uh, had you know Gristlebrand or Iona or some horrifying monstrosity, and he's like, oh, Animate did this, and Rob's like, I have cling to dust main. Um, yeah, yep. I heard about that story. It's pretty disgusting. That was, that was crazy, because I, I was thinking about this as, as this sideboard card, and then Michael Billinghurst is like, what do you mean sideboard? It's a main deck card. And I just kind of like stopped for a moment, looked at the card again, and went, oh my goodness. This is, this is like, this is such a main deckable card yeah, that... It's- it's like an opt or something, essentially. Yeah, it's just a little cantrip. It's just an instant speed yeah. instant speed opt that doesn't scry. But you have the amazing upside of sometimes hitting a creature after you lightning bolt it against an aggro deck and gain three life, which completely changes the clock. Yeah. Uh, or you, you, yeah, you mise against a, a combo deck. Or you just use it for value against the control mirror. Whatever it is, it actually kind of um, one of the one of the parallels I was thinking of was think twice. So yeah, in the past, and I mean way back, using the way way back machine, we're going to go <laughs> all the way back to like 2011 or something when the Kurgan was you know the scourge of the format yeah. and ancestral recall, merchant scroll for a call, and think twice, uh, not think twice. Uh, mystical teachings to find the a call and then flash it back and you always had to think twice in the deck because you could just kind of get some small amount of value from it and in modern day highlander that's laughable like you just can't play mystical teachings into think twice and <laughs> yeah it's just that's yeah. not you're gonna die that's not you're gonna get you know tempoed out or the mid-range deck is just gonna just destroy you because you haven't interacted with them um but this is uh you know, hot take here, but I think this is kind of a playable and if not playable, actively good think twice in the format, or at least a think twice role uh, for those con- slow, control- grindy control mirrors where you just kind of go, hey, I'm just going to draw a second card later on and I'm, I'm up now in this match and I'm just going to grind through. And hey, guess what? In the really, really, really late game, I can think twice again. <laughs> yeah. Now, the other uh, cards that were mentioned, this was uh, actually just one card shout out from last week. Uh, you and Millie, it was awesome for me to be able to just turn on my iPad. Like, oh, new episode. Wow, yeah. from the Highlander cast. And I got to sit back as an audience member and listen to you and Millie go through the set. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, hadn't, I, I didn't realize that card could be used in that particular way. You, could, you kind of listed out a variety of different cards that I hadn't actually looked at. I kind of, I was away for the holidays. Yeah. Didn't know most of the cards. And it was really, really fun for me. Um, one of the ones that you guys mentioned was Thirst for Meaning. Uh, I just have to chip in here that I'm so excited for the card. The, it seems really cool. 
Yeah, it is awesome. And I I wanted to say because it specifically slots into an exact, you know, 60th card that I had in my um, Replenish deck. And it goes perfectly in there because the deck only plays a small handful of enchantments. And those enchantments are always, you know, seven or eight mana. They're solely there for you to cast Replenish and return those, you know, three or four game-winning enchantments from your battlefield and, you know, go for gold. And... Thirst for meaning. That like the number of times I was actually playing things, you know, testing things like Sea Beyond and you know, is it charm? So yeah. I could discard them and you know, just really, you know, I'm not saying is it charm is mediocre, but in that particular combo control deck, is it charm was pretty mediocre, and yeah. I just wanted to discard those. You know, I wanted to just to discard cruel, um, uh, cruel reality, the cruel reality, and um, the overwhelming splendor i yeah. never wanted them in my hand unless i had show and tell and thirst for meaning just answered every prayer i possibly had for <laughs> for an enchantment combo deck <laughs> and I'm like, oh, i could discard it yes and i'm drawing cards and it's instant speed so yeah i was really excited about that card the other good thing about it is if you were playing it in an aura heavy deck you could call it thirst for pants <laughs> um nice. On that note, yep, that <laughs> <laughs> I had actually on on the um, the spoiler. Do you know that Clothis has some kind of a card, right? Yeah. Um, it's like a green card that you know. It's an instant. I don't even remember what it's called. It's like Clothis's something. That's that's the name of the card. Someone in the in uh, listening at home is going to be like, it's obviously Clothis's blah, and it's completely undraftable, and I don't know why you talk about that card. But anyway. Um, Anyway, the point of the story is that uh, my partner Jen and I were sitting playing a draft and this card comes up in one of the packs and she got a little bit confused about the fact that A, the card has poor grammar because there's a superfluous S after Clothus as the possessive. Oh, they have so, a lot of those. Yeah, it, it, I, I, maybe this is a difference between American English and Austra- and uh, yeah, British English or Australian English or whatever it is. Just English. But <laughs> you just don't put the S after the possessive yeah. apostrophe. So for when looking at it on on uh, a brief cursory glance, she looks at it and is, and is like, who's clothy? Because there's <laughs> the S after clothus after a possessive and then another another S. It just it just looks like one S. And, right. and is I it- just... Clothus's design? That's it. Clothus's oh, design. Six. Yeah. So, yeah, probably unplayable, right? So the superfluous S threw us to the point that I just burst out laughing. And I'm like, Clothy, who's this Clothy chap? Like, it sounds like some kind of, you know, puppet-based uh, kids show character named, you know, Sooty and Sweep Clothy, one of these kind of, you know, yep. characters. And from henceforth, from that point... He shall be known as Clothy to me. She. Like, she? Oh, I didn't know. Uh, I honestly have no clue about this particular card. So, yeah. I've learned something new. So she is known as Clothy to me. So that one... I, the thing is, the card I thought was going to be unplayable, but it's actually kind of cool. It's kind of like uh, Sulfuric Vortex. For oh, green, I'm obviously thinking green, of a red card. Yeah. Oh, uh, Clothy's. Actual, yeah. actual I think it's Clothy bad. herself. I think it's okay. bad. All right, um, so I'm not going to ever get to uh, summon Clothy on the battlefield. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could be wrong. It's just the fact that it doesn't do anything the turn you cast it doesn't feel good to me. 
Uh, but I could yeah, be that's, completely that's wrong. Maybe, maybe it's going to be sweet. And then I can, I, if it's really sweet, I'll get an alterist to alter it and put like a children's show puppet yeah. on the on the. It does uh, look I a little bit like dog. a children's show puppet. Okay, well, it works. <laughs> All right, <laughs> now signing out. So, um, as we talked about at the beginning. Uh, we do have a Patreon. All of our stuff is uh, Highlander cast or Seven Point Highlander cast themed. Um, but at the moment, uh, our country is on fire. Uh, parts of Adelaide ha- or very near Adelaide have been on fire. Uh, there's a fire about, well, I don't know, 60 kilometres south of me at the moment, 50 kilometres south of me at the moment, heading vaguely in this direction. Um, much of the south coast... Uh, well, all of the coast, uh, all of the eastern coast of Australia um, uh, is either currently on fire or has been on fire. So rather than coming to a, join our Patreon, um, well, you can still come and join. We're not going to charge you for the next little while. And we're going to encourage you to make that donation to uh, either the Rural Fire Service or um, the Australian Red Cross or similar. And we'll have some uh, things in the show notes again. Um, if you want to talk to us more about Highlander... Um, you can find us on Twitter as at HighlanderCast. You can find me as at Vancian Notions. Uh, Sav is not on Twitter. Um, you can also come on Facebook to the uh, Seven Point Highlander Facebook group, which we'll have a link to in the boss name. Um, we've got a HighlanderCast Facebook group where we usually post things about the episodes, although sometimes I'm a bit slack on that front. Um, and there's a Discord, which we'll have a link to in the show notes as well. Um, come along, have a chat with us in those. It's uh, mostly very friendly and accommodating. No, wait. It is very friendly and accommodating. Um, and we'd the love mods, to talk to the you. The mods will crack down on... Well, I'm not sure what is going on, but one of my cats is running around like crazy at the back there. Hopefully you haven't heard that on the podcast. Yeah, I heard a little bit of it. He's, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. He's just been running up and down the stairs and making some meow sounds and scratching. He likes to uh, play with the... With the floor mats, so we've got well, some people floor like at the front door, and it just likes to flip over the. He, he likes to flip the mat upside down, and just mm. I don't understand. I don't understand what what his deal is. His, anyway, uh, yeah. Um, I think that's the end of the show. So thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks everyone. All right, and that's a wrap. Right, I'm gonna stop this.